because I'm not ashamed of my country and I'm not ashamed of my food. I think people are ashamed to have foreigners like walk around or see things. Yes. Yeah. And it's like, there's no reason for that. I'm not ashamed. This is my country. This is my city and I love it. And it's fine and it's great. Hello, hello, and welcome back for season two of The Foreign Local, the podcast connecting the Egyptian diaspora with the motherland, Omidunya. I'm your host, Monica Girgis, or just, you know, the girl with the red balloon, that's fine too. In season one, we talked to Egyptians who grew up in North America and then moved to Egypt after their formative years. This season, we're headed to the Gulf, and we're talking to people who grew up between Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, Qatar, Bahrain, and Kuwait. So, are you guys hungry? Today's guest has her master's in cultural heritage management with a focus on Egyptian food heritage. Dina also works with Egyptian food tour company Bellies en Route. So you already know what this episode is going to be about. But not before we dive into Dina's transition from life in Saudi to life in Bahrain to navigating where and how she fits into the day-to-day poetic chaos of life in Cairo. When did you come back? You came back from university? I came back from university, yeah. Min al-Bahrain. Min al-Bahrain. Okay, cool. And how long has that been? That's been, so I'm turning 30 this December, so okay. it's been almost 15 years. Wow, yeah. okay. So you've lived almost literally half, half your of, life. Yeah, half of my life, Barra, and the equivalent amount. I was just thinking, I was like, wow, what a great time to reflect on, like, my cultural identity right now. <laughs> 15 years, Barra fil Khaliq, and 15 years, Hamas. Wow. Yeah. Okay, that's a lot to process, Amata. Mm. Like, it's 15 it's whole a lot. years. Are you here or there or a little bit of everywhere? No, I'm here. My parents moved back. Bad Soro. Okay. There was a lot of like skirmish action happening in Bahrain for what to that? Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, I feel like the Arab Spring, like every, every, everybody was like popping off for what to that. And stuff happened and there was like a lot of insecurity. And my, my dad, my parents decided that they wanted to um, come back. Okay. And they moved back permanently. I put my phone on. Go for it, yeah, yeah. On sleep, so that I don't get any notifications. Okay. Um, so they moved back permanently, <clears throat> bad the soda. And you were here alone for the first couple of years? Was, so it wasn't, in, in my mind, it felt like a couple of years, but the reality of the timeline is I moved, <clears throat> excuse me, I moved back um, summer of 2010. Oh, okay. Spent the summer here, started in the fall. Okay. Did the first semester. Yeah. Went back to Bahrain for a winter holiday. Okay. Came back. And my grandpa picked me up from the airport. She's like, oh, Dina, in a few days, um, people are saying there are going to be some protests. But yeah, there's just some action happening that's going to start on the 25th. But cool. Okay. I was with my grandparents. And then shit, like, shit blew up, um, which was really exciting. My grandma's place was um, quite close to Medina Tahrid. Oh. We got to experience a little bit of that, that action, which was oh, fun. Oh, wow. Okay. And terrifying. But yeah, looking back, it was fun. Um, <laughs> Hindsight gives you a very different I perspective. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, and then and then very soon after soda, my parents before the before the summertime, they had moved back. Oh, yeah. So I really spent like one semester, semester and a half with my grandparents, and then okay. my parents moved back, and I'm like, see ya. Did- and I moved in with my parents. Did they move back because they're or just because of the uh, And I think there's like lots of people losing their jobs, and at the same time, my dad like had like some like some issues and had to fight, and there was like okay. eventually he just like he left his job and he's like, it's time to move back." I okay. think at that time people were like quite hopeful. Okay. But yeah, 
Um, but I think Fair. he's like regretted it ever since. Like I think <laughs> no. I think looking back, might be like, oh, you didn't even sit in Khalid. Oh, we're both. Good day. Were you intentional about coming here for university? Or did you do any? It wasn't kada? really. When I was thinking about this in the car, it wasn't really my choice. Oh, like it was sort of like. And it wasn't just any university, it was AUC. Okay. All of my cooler, older cousins AUC. Okay. AUC is like where it's at, okay. very cool. Um, and so it was just like, you know, fill out this thing, do your application, and okay. then let's go. And looking, I also, maybe was, what was a little bit interesting is that I was in the Satoshi Sana. So I left school earlier than the rest of my friends. Okay. And they did that whole like university application Okay. And like US, Canada, Europe. Okay. in the Middle East at all. And so I look back, I'm like, I'm like the only person like my entire year group that decided to like come to the Middle East. Everybody else was abroad. And so I look back, I'm like, Maybe if I had stayed a couple more years, I would have had the chance. I don't know. But my parents were pretty much like, this is where you're going to go. And I think at the time, I didn't really. You were young. I was young. I was very young. That's super young to be making those decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, like, I recently got diagnosed with ADHD. And so my this concept of, like, understanding large pictures, like a large, mm. like an like an overview on a large scale is very hard for me to do. And I don't think okay. I understood what that meant. The big picture yeah. implication. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? What does it mean? It was sort of like, just do and I'm like, okay. Honestly, even without the ADHD, it's a very it's difficult it's thing very to hard. grasp as someone of that age. So I can't even imagine how much more so when... Like totally clueless. Like I was completely clueless. Oh, honey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was completely clueless. And it was just, and I was just like, okay, cool. Like, fine. Seems cool. My sister did it and she's cool. So, yeah, I'm going Did your sister also grow up in Saudi and Bahrain and yeah. then moved here for university? <clears throat> Same story? But Layla, my sister is five years older than me. She was born in the U.S. So okay. she was in the U.S. for a few years. Um... And then they moved back here and, and they were pregnant with me. And then my dad couldn't find a job here. And so like, Khalid, the lack okay. of jobs. La, 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 backtrack. Your okay. family has a, a, a very interesting history of mm. like, we're hopping around a little bit of everywhere. Hopping around a little so bit. So walk me through it. They were in the States first. They were in the States. My dad was doing his PhD in the States. Ah, okay. And my, that, he'd married my mom around that time. She was here. They'd met here and he was doing his PhD there. For okay. The whistle, would they go mobods? Okay. Um, and they had my sister while my mom was studying there, and my dad was finishing his stuff off as well. Okay. And then, yeah. and I think they just, it wasn't like, they, they couldn't, I don't know. It just wasn't working. It wasn't working. Egypt doesn't work. Yeah, and so they went to, and by that point, like, I was born here, and I was, very soon after I was born, we went to Saudi. You went to Saudi, and mm. you were in Saudi until when? Until I was, I'm really bad with numbers. I remember I turned eight Right when you moved to Bahrain. So, okay, you were there for give or take seven, eight years. Okay. Mm. okay. And then Bahrain until you were 15. Until I was 16, yeah. 16. Mm. Okay. What's the difference between Saudi and Bahrain? Okay, uh, so I have mm. to disclose my bias or my ignorance, okay. rather. I have no shit about the Gulf. 
Okay. Absolutely nothing. I yeah. am pure North America, Canada. Like, this is the world that I know. I don't speak Gulf. Okay. So you're going to have to speak Gulf on my behalf and okay. assume an obscene amount of ignorance on that's my fine. Uh, also, yeah. also, Yeah, that's fine. That's okay. I think um, living in the Gulf is, you're in bubbles. Like, you're living, might be living in a bubble here. It's the same. Okay. I think people think because you live in the Gulf... It's like an Arab country, Really? Like you go to restaurants, you go to malls, there's nobody Arab working there. Really? There's nobody Arab working there. And this was back back when I was a kid. So we're talking like early mid 90s ish. Oh, yeah. 90s, early oh, millennium yeah. coming. Okay. Cool. Um Saudi was different because Saudi was, right? Saudi back then isn't what Saudi is now. We were living in a compound. Okay. Um, and so Kinfi again up in the compound and then there were lots of Egyptians. And so we were pretty much in the compound. And if we wanted to go anywhere, there's like the drivers, Tabal compound that you get in their car and they'll take you to the mall. Oh. They'll take you to school. They'll take you, but like moms don't drive. Okay. Dads go to work for Shirka Tabal compound. Okay. Um, you're in this place. And plus you don't really want to leave. Like what's happening outside? Really nothing. There's the mall. Okay. Save the mall. Okay. At all. At all. What did Saudi look like as a landscape? So we know that there were malls. I don't know. You asked me this. I, I don't know. I have okay. no idea. You were too young. I don't know. I know I can tell you about the compound that I lived in, which was enormous and was lovely. We had a, a great clubhouse. All the residents on a Friday lunch, the clubhouse. Okay. And their chef was like this great Nubian guy that my dad used to love. He used to oh. make us like, Oh, you had a Nubian chef yeah. in your compound in the compound, in, club, in the clubhouse. Yeah, yeah. And he would cook for like everybody. And it was great. Um, Sounds like you had a lot of Egyptians. A lot of Egyptians. Yes, there was a big Egyptian community. Okay. Um, yeah, like weekends by the pool. But like, 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 we don't really leave. Like, you leave to go to school, you leave to go to the mall. Okay. You leave to go to the supermarket. That's it. Yeah. I don't have any memories of anything outside. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Was school, Bardu, people from the compound or from, at the very least, compound culture, for lack of better terms? Any okay. foreigners, any expats live in compounds. Okay. You don't live, like, in the city or you don't live, yeah. Okay. Because the, because you require certain freedoms that they yes. themselves don't have. Yes. So, okay. you can be freely moving around the compound as really? you please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Inside, inside the compound, uh, you're free to do whatever you want. Wow. And outside, that's when the rules start. Okay. Yeah. So, start, yeah. If you're a foreigner outside of your compound, you're still obligated to obey all of the rules. Okay. Um, and you always have to have a man accompanying you. Okay. Um, because you can't drive. Yes. But a few restrictions. Yes. You have to be conservative. You you know, moving conservatively. You're not really as a woman. You're not really welcome. Okay. In public spaces. Okay. There. Okay. But within the compound, it's a completely different world <laughs> entirely. <laughs> I'm inclined to ask why, but I don't know if you'd have an answer. I think I think it's because these compounds are usually relating to big multinational companies. Okay. Um, and so it's sort of it's sort of like an extension of where that company was, or where um uh, you might have heard of a compound called or a company called um, Aramco. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and so that's a really big, I think, American company. And so the compound they have is. It's for Americans. 
Okay. And so the people that work for Amco, again, they want okay. to feel comfortable. And so it's an extension of like American culture, American, American government, culture, American yes. embassy, American. That's so interesting. Yeah. So it's very different. Like there's my, I remember I had a few friends in Aramco and we used to go and they had like a cinema. They had like a mini cinema there Ooh. and they had like, it was fancy. Ooh. Yeah. My condo was a little bit smaller, but okay. it was good. It was good. Not as good as theirs, but it was still good. <laughs> This does not sound too different from compound culture in Cairo. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. It wasn't a huge, like, obviously I remember much more about Bahrain because I was older. Yeah. Um, and so I was socializing, I was going out, and Bahrain's much more open, much more welcoming. Of, really? Yeah. Okay, so walk me through the differences in culture between Saudi and Bahrain. Bahrain, Bahrain are... are Bahrainis are conservative in themselves, but they're welcoming of other people living there. Ooh. So yes, I live in a compound, but I live in a small compound that had 20 houses. Okay. And the rules inside the compound are the same as the rules outside the compound. Do you know, like it's more... Okay. So are they very hostile? My really? mom could drive in Bahrain. My mom could come and go as she pleased. We mm. can go hiking. We can go out to Sahara when it visits. Saudi, I can't see this sort of welcoming behavior. Okay. Um, Bahrainis also really like Egyptians. Really? Yeah. So I think this is one of the first Gulf countries where I hear they really like Egyptians. They really do like Egyptians. Because all the Saudi experiences I've heard are, oh my God, they hate Egyptians. Oh my God, they think Egyptians are Kaza. Oh my God, the stereotype is X, Y, and Z. So this is one of the first times where I've heard, no, they really like that. Yeah, my experiences with um, Bahraini people has always been pleasant. My dad also really, really likes them. Um, oh. I think, I don't know why, I don't know why, I'm not sure why they... They like us, but they do. They're always friendly towards us. Mm. Every time it's Ibn Ahad, you put on their like Egyptian accent, their best Egyptian accent, they try to like Cute. do a little thing. <laughs> um, friendly, warm, open. Of course, they're conservative. Had enough so home. Okay. They allow for other people in the same space to do what they need to do or I what love they that. want to do. Yeah, it's a really, really, really lovely place. And Sounds healthy. It is really, it was really lovely. Like, I always call it, like, if you've been to Dubai, it's sort of like a smaller, chiller version of Dubai. Okay. Dubai is like really hardcore, like everything on steroids. Like everything's really intense. Yeah. Bahrain, at least when I was back, they want you to buy, but they're not quite getting there, which is really nice. Okay. Which it's is really nice. The equivalent of like the small town trying to be a big city. Okay. Top notch quality service. Everything's amazing. Food's amazing. Service is amazing. Okay. Everything that I get then. Okay. But Okay. Like when you moved to Bahrain, there was one mall. In Bahrain. In Bahrain. Oh. In Bahrain. Bahrain is like a tiny, tiny island. It's a tiny island. We used okay. to go on holiday weekends. So where we were living in Saudi was um so close to Bahrain that there's like a, there's a, a Kobri Mabin home. We used nice. to go on the weekends. Okay. Go spend the weekend there because it's funner than Saudi because there's nothing to do in Saudi. Okay. We go spend the weekend, go stay at a hotel and like go swimming, enjoy the beach, and then we'd come back end of the weekends. Oh. Cool. And then so when my dad's like, we're moving to Bahrain, I'm like, yes, we're moving to our holiday spot. It's going to be awesome. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> of course, the reality was obviously not just like beach and swimming say, every day. But I was going to say little eight-year-old Dina is <laughs> stoked right now. But then like 12-year-old Dina is like, oh. Yeah, I still have to go to school. Like yeah. I still have to like do my homework. But very pleasant, very sweet, sweet area. Loved it. Like I have very fond memories of Bahrain. It was, it was a lovely place. That's awesome. Like what? Mm. What? 
Because fond is such a beautiful word. Um, and I feel like not a lot of people who came out of the Gulf have really? expressed fond memories. Really? I think there was maybe like one. Why? Um, I found that it really depends on the country. It depends on mm. where you're coming in from. Um, okay. And some spaces don't allow people to have rich childhood experiences okay. that allow for that level of fondness. Because so Benizbeli, mm. take you for example, I feel like you wouldn't express fondness towards Saudi yeah. as you would Bahrain. Yeah. And I think that's the um, chasm. I think, I think also it's a little bit more complicated because it's not everybody lived in a compound. Mm. Right? Yeah. I was lucky enough to have parents that could afford to live in a compound, but I knew people who didn't live in compounds. Okay. And their experience of that was very different. I, my family was also very... <clears throat> Quite reserved, and I have like some Egyptian friends that were with me in school who Okay. Which for me is really, really fucking weird. You're not Bahraini, why would you wear that? Yeah. But they were encouraged to be like in and experiencing quite heavily um, Bahraini life interesting okay like they'd go on they played football with the kids in the street like yeah. i didn't have that experience i lived in a compound my neighbor was like an american kid okay in bahrain and in saudi yeah 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 um okay. we're not okay yeah it's not looking down or looking up or anything it's just i'm not gonna i'm not gonna assume I'm not gonna, I'm not. yeah i'm not I'm, this is not you know we're living here working here and eventually we'll go home that's Okay. It's not like no. So this is the biggest difference that I found between uh, Egyptians who grew up in the Gulf versus Egyptians who grew up in North America. Mm. Because with North America, there is a sense of yes, but we are now also American or we are now also Canadian. And I think it also depends on um, when you immigrated. When it comes to oh. North America. Oh, interesting. Because. I, I feel like the earlier on people immigrated, uh, the more cemented they are in this, like, we need to be part of this space. Okay. Uh, we hold on to parts of our roots and our culture, but we are we need to blend in into the world that we exist in. Mm. Whereas the Luati, I feel like um, those barriers are kind of broken. And so there are people who are very much like, no, F this place, I'm Egyptian, and I'm just here because it allows me a better life, but I am still Egyptian, I will always be Egyptian, and it's almost... Combative. It's as, it's as intense, and mm. it comes with a bit of animosity sometimes, mm. where it's like, I'm just here because you afford me nice things, but... That's so interesting. It, there are a lot of different types of... There are a lot of different buckets of... Ah. <laughs> Of Egyptians living abroad and the experience is so different That's sometimes. That's really interesting. But it's fascinating hearing the Gulf experience and that what's what's tracked so far with every single guest has been. Um, we we live here. We're here for work and then we're going home. Yeah. Or we are just here as part of this like lifestyle or that everybody else is also just here. Temporarily. But yeah, yeah. I but think also, yeah, and I think also there's this idea that you can't become Bahraini or it's very hard for yes. you to become Bahraini. I have one Egyptian friend who became Bahraini, but it's like oh. because his dad has been there for like 50 years. Okay. Very complicated, but it wasn't like hard for you to own property, hard for you to, you know what I mean? Mm. So it's, it's, 
Mm-hmm. You're you're no it's known that you're here temporarily. You're not here forever. You're not going to yeah. stay here. Yeah. You're not going to retire here. Yeah. And I I think it's interesting um hmm, realizing this as I say it mm. that the the space itself the way that it's governed and governed and what it does and doesn't allow you to do mm. shapes so much of what you are allowed to experience. So you're not allowed to, or you're not given the space to experience being part of that space, being yeah. from and of that space. Yeah. Uh, I know you're there, just like everybody else, just yeah. like the Egyptians in Canada are there, just yeah. like everybody else. But certain basics that mm. aren't allotted to you as an Egyptian in Bahrain or as an Egyptian in Saudi mm. don't allow you to enter within, like to cross that threshold into I am from here. It's just I am Here. Also, I think what's really interesting is that the Zed al Khalig, you don't really get to interact directly with Khaligi culture. Okay. Uh, like, because unwrap the, that for me. Yeah, yeah because it's so, um, right, like all these countries have come across money quite recently and they want to be really like westernized. So they mm-hmm. build malls and they build shopping centers and restaurants and brands and all this stuff. But yeah. like, They've completely wiped out their like authentic culture. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I know, but here, here you can still walk down the street and see people talking and see yeah. people with food. You can still go. You can still more often than not, you'll yeah. still stumble across the authenticity. More often it. than not, yeah, absolutely. But like yeah. there it's 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 not like they're like, I'll give you an example, like yeah, the compound that I lived on, I lived in, um, right down the street was the start of a Shia like village. Okay. Um, right down the street. Mm. Like we could walk in. Okay. But we never crossed that line. Never, never. But like a couple of times my dad would like, Yadoba cross to like get food from like a restaurant right there, like maybe Marokula Kim Shop. Okay. But like Omrinama, it's not, it's not like people aren't living like this. Hmm. People are like, again, Okay. This is in Bahrain. Yeah. Okay. So you don't like, unless you purposefully are going to like, okay. um, or the equivalent, um, you are not, you're not really engaged. You're not with going to engage. Interact with Bahraini. Even something like, Like um Sul Adim Batahom equivalent like Khan Khalihana, very touristic. Oh. Um very geared towards again science yeah. and English. Yeah. Um the downtown like business district, Kulu, multinationals, Kulu, Bilinglisi, like everything okay. is so they've created a polished, bit of a very... world for the foreigner Absolutely. experience. Absolutely. And they as Bahrainis have their own little world of Absolutely. experience. Absolutely. And never shall the two mix. You know what I mean? That's very interesting and a little scary. It is. Because I feel like that's where Egypt is trying to go, just perhaps not as tactfully. I don't think you'll... Bahrain, Bahrain, when I was there, they were like, yeah, do back ah, a million people. Okay. Oh. Including expats. Okay. So oh, you're talking yeah. about like, you're talking very about... Very different. Wala yeah. Wala haiga. It's a lot easier to implement. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will never happen. Like, you can't. It won't, but it's. 
I feel like I can't shy away from the fact that this is what we're trying to oh, do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And my, my only sort Abysmally, of like... might I add. <laughs> my only sort of hope is that, yani, hopefully in like 40, 50 years, people will realize, oh, maybe this isn't the greatest thing. And so they'll sort of like pull it back and try yeah. to recreate some of the older spaces that we used to have. We should yeah. show them show in a cabaret, with the whole Cornish way in this. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. open up some public spaces that yeah. they insist on closing off. I get together. I feel like public spaces are among public spaces are among the only places where you have cross cultural access. So something like parks or something like Al uh, Azhar Park, masalan, or the metro or Etabshia Cornish. Very public, open access spaces. Um, and it's interesting because when I got here, and I guess kind of till now, I'm, I want to have access to some of these open, like open access spaces. I want to go out with Nina and like have a little picnic and I don't want to have to be in a compound to do it. Yeah. I want to go do that. Ayuwa, ayuwa, ayuwa. It is and isn't welcoming at the same time. Oh, it absolutely is not welcoming. Especially Plus you as a woman, you. <laughs> especially you as a woman, you're absolutely not welcome here. I may if may, you're don't not feel welcome. like it comes from me as a woman. I didn't feel like that was oh, the dividing. Oh, okay. I, I think I, I always like my one of my the biggest hurdles that I find in being in public spaces is just I'm a woman. Like honestly, okay. Um, sometimes like with the sort of work that I've been in the last few years, you sort of have to ignore that and you just have to move forward. Okay, can um, you tell us a little bit about what that work looks like? What do you yeah, do? Yeah, so so um, I'm currently a content creator for Bellies on Rude, which is a food tour company. And um, yeah, so I, I try to create engaging content, but for tourists, so I'm sort of packaging Egyptian food in a way that tourists can, or again, can take a look at and appreciate and consume and understand what I'm saying because yeah. You have to be very careful about how you talk about Egyptian food to people that don't know anything about Egyptian food. So you have to speak a very different language. Yeah, yes. you have to really translate these these um, traditions and and feelings and emotions that we have in a way that they can understand as well. That's beautifully put. Yeah, it's it's quite exciting. Bailey um, Kemsana um, working in this field. Um, did my master's in in like cultural heritage management with a focus on Egyptian food heritage. What? Yeah, it's really exciting. What? It's very cool. That's so cool. It's very cool. It's very cool. It's yeah. a lot though. I'm so tempted to derail the entire conversation <laughs> and just focus entirely on this, but we will put a pin in it and come back to it because yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. Sorry, continue. You were saying public spaces as a woman, given your job. Yeah, and so I find like when I'm in the streets trying to gather some research or doing some interviews or whatever, um, it was a really big hurdle for me to just exist in these spaces. I became really painfully aware yeah. that this space is not for me. Yeah. I look very different than everybody here. Yes. Even before the hair, like... <laughs> like I love the hair. Uh, thank you, you're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, even before the hair, like... It's hard to be a woman wearing jeans. Mishmuhagaba. Yeah. Okay. In in spaces that aren't like Zamalek, Tagamwa, Zaid. So far, a lot of my research was um al Adima, Fil Moaz, Fil Azhar in that area. Yeah. And that space is really interesting because some of the spaces are very, very touristy. And then you just go like one hara in yes. and all of a sudden, people are like, What are you doing here? Yes. And everybody's staring at you, but you still need to do your work, so you need to push through and be like I have to be here. I'm allowed to be here. Yeah. And this is when pulling up your like, um, oh, 
I'm a cutesy little girl. Can you help me? That works really well. Works like it a works really charm. Well. I know. So I use that all the time. That helps me a lot. Not that's it. And Works like a charm. It's great. Um, it works better than putting on the aggressive uh, face. I feel like a lot of people try to like aggressive their way through it. I belong here. I need to be here. I yeah, it doesn't work. A soft smile because you remind somebody of their daughter yes. or their sister, yeah. uh, and so they really like they're welcoming to that. I feel like you're. You picked up on something here or through this conversation that I don't think I've had the words for before mm. because um, I think in a space like that, you need to speak the language of the culture in the Hawaliki. Mm. And that culture is going to be accustomed to seeing someone that's going to remind them of their daughter or their sister and that like need to yeah. and take care of them. Yeah. As opposed to if you're walking in with like, you know, a uh, um, not necessarily a mean look on your face, but like a don't fuck with me look. It's like, honey, we will fuck with you and your mama because you're blatantly not from around here and you're not you're not yeah. open to having the conversation of the culture that you are walking to. Yeah. And you're not from around here is a really big thing. It really like, is. Like you can't, you can't just go anywhere and, and ask people questions and talk to people and put it on camera? Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. So so that's a really big thing. So if you're entering somebody's area, mm. it'd be really nice, it'd be really sweet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. The posture of posture of your attitude, for mm. lack of better terms, goes it's such a, yeah, a long it way a in navigating the space. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I thought this was a bit of a me thing, but I love that you're no, sharing this. Of course, this. yeah, of course. Because, because at the end of the day, you're trying to get some information yeah. from people who don't think about this, like mm. specifically food. Mm. They don't think about it. Okay. And and there's always this, oh, you're asking about it. Um, let me tell you what I think you want to know, but you mm. want actually, you don't want to hear the filtered version. Mm. You want what's actually happening. Yes. But it's very difficult for you to get that out of them. Yes. As you know, as an interviewer, yes. it's extremely, yeah. it's, a th- it's a thing. It's a big thing. It's a relational thing because mm. I feel like in your context, you have a couple of minutes within a quick exchange to develop to, I guess, lead with a vulnerability that begets a vulnerability in the so, other person and al- almost create instant relationship with them that allows them to allow you in. Absolutely. That you try. so difficult. You try. You try your best. Yeah. And you fail most of the time. <laughs> really? Yeah. But you get there, like, eventually, it's sort of yeah. definitely, like, what I noticed from us, it's you need to show your consistency. What you need to be mean? consistently there. So when I was working on my thesis um, and I was like mapping out all the restaurants um, and like a bit of Al-Azhar, people saw me there every other day for like four months straight. That's okay. So they know me. They know me. Make your face familiar. If they know you're there all the time and they see you and you you can build that trust. Yes. And you haven't posed a threat. You haven't caused trouble. And you, you said you were doing what you said you were doing. Yeah. 
Oh, then yes, that's that's, that's the best way to go, I think. If you're lucky enough, if you can do that, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was so interesting. That was amazing. Sorry. Go back to um, occupying space as a female in certain spaces where you are not, you feel like you're not allowed access to the yeah, space as a female. I don't know. I feel I've, I, need, I think things have maybe gotten a little bit better now, but like before, before the revolution, it was quite unwelcoming. Really? I felt the streets were unwelcoming. Yeah, I didn't live here at the time at all. Okay. I got here at the tail end of 2015. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, moved to Canada when I was six years old, back in the mid-90s. And I came back at the tail end of 2015. Okay. So my Egypt experience is very, very different. And yeah. there are a lot of very core moments in the history of this country and in like the, you know, social fabric of this mm. country that are woven in there that I did not experience. Okay. And so the the world that you're talking about is unfamiliar to me. Okay. Um, unwrap it for me, please. Mm. Oh, I mean, I, I don't know. Maraf, that's a big question. That's a really big question. You don't have to un- <laughs> you don't have to unwrap all of it. Just like <laughs> um, of what the streets looked like and how they were unwelcoming compared to what we experience, I guess, now. I think at the time, I think there's a difference between how I see things like how I look back okay. as Dina today yes. versus how Dina back then saw things. I think back then I was living downtown for Agusa. Okay. Um, I'd have to like, even though I was in the bubble of AUC, I still had to like walk down, you know, I still have to walk in the streets and do stuff, right? Yes. Um, and I always felt very watched um, by men in the streets. Like, I feel like this is a shared experience and to a large extent, this still happens today, but uncomfortable, just uncomfortable, not welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, no women in the streets, at least where I was. Really? Yeah, it was just always felt just unsafe and, and not pleasant. Okay. Um, and I think things are better now, but I don't know if things are better now because I live in a compound for Sheikh Zayed, and so I like, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love the self-awareness that came out of that. But you access spaces outside of that compound, though. Yeah, of course. I, I, I try really hard to not give in to what's so easy, which is just to spend all of my time there and never leave. I think that's so that. important. Like, I see so many kids in the compound, Andana, who, like, go to, like, you know, some of the most expensive schools from us. Yeah. And they, you know, they just cross the street and they go get a Starbucks and they just, like, drive around their golf carts around the compound. There's, like, cool kids. And... And it's like, and I'm sort of at an age where I like, I'm thinking of having kids. And so this idea of like, how do I want to raise, I think this is a really interesting question. Like, how do you want to raise your kids Yes. in this community or in the society that we're currently in, where I currently live, where it's so normal for kids to be living, to be driving their like golf carts yeah. and blasting music and just like drinking their Starbucks, like tossing <laughs> it over their shoulder, you know, like littering. Like it's, yeah, it's really bad. It's really bad. I know. I wish, I wish it were not that case, but it, it, it's exactly like that. Okay. And so it's sort of like, I know my okay. parents put in a lot of effort to sort of make sure that we were in the streets. Yeah. Like, like, let's out, we're out all the time doing things, doing That's things, really doing things. That's really cool. Yeah. Kudos to your parents for that. Yeah, I think they the did dad. an incredible job to sort of make things not feel so foreign. Yes. Uh, so 
And so I feel like parents now, I don't see that happening. Like, I feel like kids are so in their bubble. Yeah. Maybe I was that kid. I don't know. Maybe I was that kid. I don't, I don't know. Not to that yeah. extent, no way would my parents have ever bought me a golf cart. Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. But, but I was always lived in a compound my entire life. But so, I wonder I if, if it comes down to what you were saying about your parents when you were back here, allowing you to, or maybe pushing you to, interact and engage with the culture around you and mm. the everyday life and running errands and stuff like that, as opposed to sheltering you. Yeah. And I think the difference is shelter. Mm. Um, sh- I, think, I think it's important to... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's important to raise kids in a space where you feel it is safe for them to exist, yeah. but not to shelter them in a way where it is only in this space that you are able to exist. Huh. And it's that, huh. like, that sweet spot in the middle. I feel huh. like that's such a difficult balance to strike. Yeah. And I, I, I remember, um, I remember uh, coming back this one year or, or, yeah, I was coming back this one year, this one winter, and I was hanging out with one of my friends um Finedi Seed or something she was a member of Finedi Seed for she invited me to go spend the day there and um and we wanted to like order something or get something I can't remember and wake it Mexufa give then innaha like to order food from like the waiter and I'm like girl you live here you live here like what do you mean like Anaba Mexufa because and all the waiters are behind like Filipino Okay. Right? Like, there are no Arab waiters, so I'm always going to be ordering in English. I'm always going to okay. be ordering off of, like, a menu. Ah. It's very different than... Uh, Ammu, Finnezi, and Aiza, Keza. Do you know what I mean? Yes, um, yes, yes. Hey, I'm like, but you live here. Like, you come to this Nadi all the time. What do yeah. you mean? And that was, like, a really interesting moment. So I had to order that day. It was, it was an interesting... <laughs> And interesting, because my mom used to really force the whole, I'm not going to get you this. If you want it, you have to go up to him and ask him. Nice. You want to go get that candy? Here's the money. Go get it. You don't want to go get it? You're not going to have it. So go wow. get it. Or don't go get it. Up to you. It's, you know. Yeah. Um, Dude, Mama did well. Mm. Mama did really well. Mm. That's incredibly... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, she did a, a really good job, I think. I think she did a really good job. Absolutely. Yeah. Did that make it easier for you to integrate when you moved back here? I think moving back here wasn't that hard because I was still in AUC. Like, at the end of the day, the extent of my moving was I walk down the street, I get on the bus, get off the bus for Gamma. Okay. Come in. Okay. Get on the bus, get back home. If I'm going to go out, I'll go to like, <laughs> you know? Like, that's, that's like the extent of my uh, street experiences. Yeah. yeah, no, I still absolutely was still very much in a bubble. And I think okay. when I graduated and I started doing my master's, that's when it really hit me because I had to do a lot of field work. Okay. And that's when nobody's going to hold your hand. You want to do this. You need to go okay. to a place you've never been to before and do your, do your work. Okay. And go speak to people and do questionnaires and, and, and take photos and take videos and do interviews and all this stuff that was like, and it caused me a huge, I had like a bit of a, I was supposed to do my master's program in one year and I ended up doing it in two because once I started doing my thesis, like Henning's, and I had a bit of like an emotional, like, like really like eight month, like emotional paralysis where I'm like so terrified and so anxious of the fieldwork that I have to do. I don't even know where to start. Oh. Was painfully aware of how bad my Arabic was and painfully aware of 
of how embarrassed I was to speak to people I don't know. Like, if you've ever stood in a, like, a place and tried to ask people to, like, fill out surveys, it's so painful. Yeah. Like, even to this day, it's so painful to do. Yeah. Plus that ad, like, ad that I was young and ad that I was really insecure and ad, and ad, like, ad, like all these layers of yes. things that just made it really, really hard for me to do. But it was the hardest thing that I did and as a result, the, the greatest thing that I like the sense of pride afterwards that I had done like such extensive field reviews made me feel so incredible because it was like Mount Everest Udbeni. It was so impossible for me. It felt so impossible for me to do. Can you walk me through why? Because I get it. You get it? Oh my God, I get mm. it. You sound like, you sound kind of like me and my experience of moving here because I moved back to a bubble that was very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved back. I didn't live in the bubble, but I existed and worked in the bubble. So I didn't really have to deal with the world outside of that. supermarket. These basics, I remember they literally just sitting there crying in the supermarket. I'm like, no, no, I am not able to. No, no, no. And I do not know why. It was just, all of it was a very lot. suddenly very a overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, but you're literally just walking down the street and going to the supermarket. What's wrong? It's just, it was a lot. But outside of those very small things, I was in a very bubble-ish space. Okay. So kind of like your Aguza versus AUC setup. And then go back. Go walk down the street. I like walking down the street. I like okay. talking to people. I like engaging with strangers. But there's also a, I think you put it as painfully aware. Yeah. It's exactly how I would put it. Exactly. <laughs> Verbatim. I was painfully aware of how foreign I... It's not even looked. It's looked and carried myself. I think it's, it's not about the look because we both look really Egyptian. It's not about the look. It's like you're dressed slightly different. Yes. Yes. So, yes. You're yes, dressed yes. slightly different. You're carrying like reasonable water bottle. Like there are certain definite, definite tells for Egyptians. And how yes. I... So this was fascinating because mm. I had a friend kind of break it down for me eventually. Uh, I had someone tell me, by the way, it's because you walk down the street smiling. And I know it was the saddest, most hilarious thing in the world. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? But also, oh God. He's like, because you walk down the street with a smile on your face and that's not common around here. Yeah. Um, and it's not. It's really not. But it's also... So a friend of mine was like, it's not the jeans and the shirt you're wearing. It's that you're wearing those jeans with that, that shirt, shirt yeah. in this space. Ugh. And I'm like, you've got to be effing kidding me. But it's not. Um, because there are... It's fascinating. This city is absolutely fascinating mm. in that there are so many different tells that that people can use to identify if you are from a certain space or not. And that space, like you were saying, um, in Islamic Cairo, differs from one hara to the next. Good then. It's ridiculous <laughs> because uh, we do a lot of uh, travel guide work. Mm. And so like working on actual the guides themselves. And so how do you explain to people, like what you're doing, how do you explain to people who don't know the, the culture and the landscape, the fact that every street has its own culture. Every street has its own day-to-day unspoken language of being. Yeah. And your tell is something as simple as, like you said, your water bottle. Yeah. 
that's a tell. That's a very quick tell that allows people to put you in a very particular box very quickly. So we both look Egyptian. Good then. But so we carry ourselves in a foreign way. Yeah. So I feel like that confuses people because it's like, even on the metro or in public, it's I, you're Egyptian and I'm going to hold you by Egyptian standards. But I am foreign as all fuck, sir. (laughs) I, and, and it's a, there's a tension. There's a tension in all of it. But I feel like sometimes, you can correct me, I would love to know your experience because I don't like, I don't take the metro. I've never lived, really lived in a place where I could take the metro. Okay. Awesome. Okay. Um, so I don't know what that is really like, but mm. I feel like people can tell you might be Egyptian, but there's something foreign about you. But there is sort of like, they hold space for that. Mm. Like, I'll give you an example. Like, I would never, my mom always, you know, when you go to certain places, you dress a certain way. Mm. I'm not going to go to Masladima Lapsa, like skinny jeans. I'm not mm. going to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you don't, like, attract more attention to yourself than you need. Yes. Even though, you know, eyes are always on you. Anyway, best, you know, besides the point. Yeah. And I'm always shocked when I see women. And there's always, like, one woman. That decides <laughs> it's cool. And it's amazing. I'm, I'm so impressed. And it's cool. Like, Islamic Cairo or uh, any of these, like, old Cairo places. Yeah. In, like... In like black leggings, okay, and a t-shirt. I have been that woman, and like like cut and and tattoos and okay. and like blonde hair and let's go. Okay, 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 okay. And and for me, I'm like, oh my god, oh my god. But yeah. she does absolutely fine. Like nobody does. Like nobody treats her any differently. People treat her fine. She's still fine. Like things are still fine. Nobody says anything. Yes. So get some more looks. Yeah, but nobody treats her any differently. But that's it. That's the extent of it. You're absolutely right. And I feel like we, I'm very similar in that I know that, for to go to Islamic Cairo, Bussi and Al-Khat Al-Ahmar Andi is the leggings because they're effing comfortable. <laughs> but, okay. but we will throw a potato sack on top of the leggings yeah, 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 to yeah, kind yeah. of take away from the leggings so. so that there's a mixture of comfort, but not... You don't want to grab too much attention attention. in the space. That's unnecessary. And I feel like we've been, for lack of better terms, conditioned to operate this way. Yeah. Because I feel like it's because we're not expected to be foreign here. We're expected to be locals. Yeah. I definitely catch myself all the time trying to make myself like as Egyptian as possible. And it's like, you don't need to do that. You can just be yourself. But it's so easy to just pretend Yes, because there are a lot more question marks that come with you look Egyptian, but you're not carrying yourself as an Egyptian would in this space. The Egyptian would know that in this space, you need to dress X and look Y and speak Z. Um, and you don't do that. So question mark, what, what's your story? It's always like, huh, yeah. there's something there's different. There's something there. But... The extent of it mm. is if you're walking in, you know, blonde hair, tank top, leggings, tattoos, the whole nine yards in Islamic Cairo, the extent of it is that people are going to just look at you a little different. Yeah. Or a little longer. Yeah. That's, That's it. it. That's it. That's it. That's it. I don't know why they meant like there's always like this like terror that our moms had yes. of like, you must dress this way. Ah, I, I think a couple of days ago. Yeah. I just came back from Sahel a couple of days ago. And um, we went, we got out of the compound just to buy some vegetables. And I was wearing shorts and t-shirt. Yeah. 
And mom's like, don't get out of the car. And I'm like, uh, no. I'm, he's, they're like, no, these are like the Bedouins in the area. Like they're very conservative. Don't yeah. get out there. And I'm like, nope, I'm getting out the car. And I got out the car and it was fine. And like, like he doesn't want to look. He shouldn't look. He wants to look. Uh, I don't care. I, she was this, like, my mom was like, yes. really like triggered by that. <laughs> yes. If, we, if they want to look, look. And I think that was something that made a really big difference for me where I'm like, I eventually made peace with the fact that Egyptians, we as a culture, we as a people, we look. They stare. Oh my gosh. And so much staring. Yes. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just, there is clearly something that says that something about you is different. Yeah. So we're just going to look because you are different. That's it. No, not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. And I feel like I've discovered that the easiest way to diffuse that is to just make eye contact, smile and say good morning. Yeah. Oh my God. Because you're, you're different, but you've, you've created a common ground in literally saying good morning. Yeah. And this diffuses so much of that fear and yeah. that feeling of like, oh my God, I'm being watched. Yeah. Say good morning. And it also, and it, you're you're very kind. Also, you're you're clearly you're you're you, the perspective you're looking at it from is quite kind. Okay. Um, there's also this idea of like you're also speaking to them directly. I think when people look at you, it's definitely a power thing. Oh. And I think staring at you and you looking at them and them not breaking that that eye contact that's incredibly intimidating it is and so so when you reach out and say something to them you sort of you, you force them it. yeah you sort of yeah. force them to be like i'm speaking to you i see you looking at me and now i'm i'm speaking to you you have you. something you want to say to me go ahead go ahead say what you want to say and i think that's when that's when you get Whoa. this like oh uh like over niceness re response when you when you say sabah al-khair yeah. I mean this I mean obviously it's not That's always like so that. I don't want to be I don't want to be saying like everybody's looking in a malicious way. Absolutely not. But we can't either way we can't put a blanket statement absolutely. on any of it. Absolutely. Because uh, literally two people standing next to each other could have very different intentions behind what they're looking at yeah. and why they're looking. Yeah. And the way that they engage with you may be the exact same. Yeah. But the intention, the intention is, different. is different. The look is different and you feel it. Yeah. Thing is, you feel, you feel it. You feel it. You start to yeah. pick up on this look is just curiosity. This look is confusion. This look is different. And this look is malicious. Mm. You feel the malicious. This was, I think, the biggest issue I had settling into Cairo is the staring. Really? Yeah. And to the point where, because I was, I lived October and university is in Tegamwa, so you have a good two, three, four hours a day lost just in traffic. Oof. And and what that means when you're on a bus is that people stare at you on the bus. If I'm sitting with my, with the, you know, we're only these big coaster buses with a, a little um, curtain. Oh, okay, yeah, And yeah. so you pull a curtain back just so that I'm not sitting like in a cube, right? So yeah. I can see what's happening. Yeah. And people would just like sit and stare. And it used to make me so, so, so anxious until I, I was, t I have a, like a, a philosophy minor. So I started reading about like, the power of like looking and like how that is like an extension of controlling and all this stuff. And so I started like staring back at people. So I just have like staring contacts. These are people for Shera. Just like, people in the bus. Like we're stuck. Had they in the bus. Yeah, no, no. Like in the bus that's next. Um, ah, okay. In the bus next. I'm in, okay. I'm in a bus and he's in the bus. Okay. And, but okay, we're both okay. stuck at Dairi for like an hour. Okay. Okay. So we're just, he's just staring at me. And so I'll just stare back. And I'll just, it's like a, it's like, but it was so draining. Yes. So I had to stop doing it because it was just yes. exhausting. Yes. Oh my God, yes. Because yeah. I was going to say, can we address how difficult it is to hold that stare? 
for you. Yeah. It's so difficult and, and also, it consumes so you much also, of you. You get, you get, I, get like, I get really angry as well because it's like sometimes they'll escalate because from a bikini and so yeah. they'll stare and they'll like, they'll do like a, you know, like a, they'll try like. <laughs> like a little rabbit nose yeah, yeah, sort, yeah, of yeah, like, sort of like. Yeah, 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 sort of like, you know, like, a, like that sort of thing. Like the equivalent of like the eyebrow raise. Anyway, so it's, so it's sort of like my response, I would love to just be able to lean over and smack you, but like. <laughs> I'm not gonna get in a fist fight with everybody who looks at me. So, yes. so like, how do you pick your battles? Yeah, and so I just do it back to them. <laughs> or I'd like, or I'd have like this complete look of disgust, like, and I just stare for like. But it's too much. It's too much. This was back in my angry youth, but we're over that now. <laughs> That's amazing <laughs> because I feel like a lot of people get trapped in that space, and it really all it does is it takes away from your ability to experience peace and joy in a space. Yeah, absolutely. It unfortunately won't affect the outside world as no, much as you think it will. Not. No, no, it absolutely doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. And this is, <clears throat> this is something that like every year I, I deal with um, because I was raised to be very aware of how people look at you. Okay. And so... There's always sort of like this idea of like cover yourself or even though not in a religious sense, but just in us that people don't see social something. Social modesty. Yeah, social modesty. Exactly. Um, and so now as an adult, I think a lot about how I want to live or how I want to exist in a space, mm. how I want to model being a woman to any future kids that I might have. Mm. There's always this idea of like. Because I always see like older ladies at the beach, you know, like these older cool grandmas and wearing like bikinis and they're yeah. smoking cigarettes and their nails are red and they're just like, you know, white hair and they're amazing. And I always go to my home like, oh my gosh, Ahmed, I want, they're so cool. I wanted to be like that. And Ahmed honestly cuts to the chase. He's like, you're not even like that now. Like, why would you be like that then? And I'm Mic like, drop. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? You're absolutely fucking right you're right i'm gonna be like that now and so it's like this like every every summer i'm sort of like reiterating and refashioning myself to become this cool old lady because you have to live it now right so that you can be that later so i'm trying to do so that's what we're currently trying to do i think i love you this is that was amazing that's amazing we're trying so the hair right the hair is happening is like we're, we're trying to get there <laughs> Of all the things to aspire to and to have lead certain directions in your life, this is gold. Because they're so cool. This they're so gold. cool. And they're just like, you know, could show home and stretch marks and they don't care. Yeah. They're just having like they're just having a good time. There are no fucks. They're just having a good time. Yeah. I want to have a good time. I can't even have a good time now. <laughs> I want to have Why? a good time. Because I'm like, mm, kid she, mm, oh uh, I, I didn't shave. Oh, uh, uh, it didn't work out enough. Oh, I shouldn't have had that. Like, what? Like, it's so like shameful. Like, just to exist. Like, I just want to be. I just want to like. I just want to have a good time. Is this a Sahel thing or a Dina in Sahel thing or I think, a Cairo uh, thing or a what or a Cairo thing? It's it's. I think Sahel more because I get to dress more freely. Like here, I I can't, I can't walk down the street wearing shorts. Like I wouldn't do that. That's bananas. I wouldn't put myself in that situation. But I think sad because there's more freedom to be around people who are more like me. Um, it's a more liberal space. Yeah. Um, but definitely it's something that I'm trying to integrate into like every aspect of my life. Okay. Where like there was a lot of this idea of 
when you get married, your house has to look like Keza and you have to be this kind of wife and you have to host people in this certain way. And it's sort of like slowly, slowly breaking down these rules, figuring out what I'd like to do and setting up my life to reflect that. Yeah. Who is Dina in this space? Yeah. And what does Dina want to do with her life? Like in 20 years, would you be okay with what's been going on? Like with how you've been spending your time or no? Or like, so we're trying, we're trying. (laughs) It's a daily, uh, a daily process, a daily thing we work on. It really is because um, when you, when you bring in Sehel, you're bringing in a very different culture as well. Mm. And, but it's a culture that feels familiar. And it feels comfortable. So all of this, I'm talking about Sahel Tayyib. I'm not talking about Sahel Shirir. Can you walk us through this? Okay. Because I didn't grow up with either Sahel Tayyib or oh, Shirir because I never used to come back often oh, enough. Girl. How frequently did you come back? So we left in 96. Yeah. We came back 2001. So I'm born in 1990. So yeah. I left when I was six years old. Came back when I was 11, 2001. Came back. You didn't uh, go for any holidays? Oh, that's we different. Immigrated. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very different experience. We immigrated, and the immigrant experience at that time necessitated that we need to like build life. And that was very taxing on my parents, very consuming, and really expensive. Of course. Um, so of course. no, we were there laying, like digging and laying roots. Um, so we left in 96. I was six, came back 2001. I was 11. Came back 2007, I was 17, 2009. Wow. And after nine, after nine, there was then 10, 13, 15, and then I moved. Also, your memory is spectacular. I know. (laughs) Like, you asked me, like, what year I got married. I'm like, I don't know. Like, (laughs) no, no, I think it was in July. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Uh, Alhamdulillah, I'm very grateful for it. This, I mean, I'm actually a bit of a scatterbrained person. Really? Sometimes, yeah. No way, I wouldn't. Alhamdulillah, the memory kind of kicks in with dates. Someone actually just said that to me two days ago. I was like, really? I I can never remember years. Like, I feel like that's the most impossible thing to remember. What do you mean? How do I, how am I, I don't live my life in years. Like, how am I supposed to remember that? I get this because I'm good with years. I'm good with dates. But I'm also, I calculate time and seasons. Yeah, seasons, yeah, seasons definitely is much easier to grasp, to remember. I feel like not a lot of people do that because sometimes people are like, oh, I love that you like talk about your life and seasons. I'm like, is there any other way? Like, this is what I know. Yeah. Because in this, I'm like, oh my God, no years. And then, ooh, seasons. I'm like, what do you do if you don't do either one of those? I think seasons are maybe easier for me. So I'll always link it to something else. Yes. Like, I'll, like, I know, like, it was hot. We were at the beach. Okay, summer. Oh, like, that's not what I mean by season. Oh, no. I'll, oh, I literally, literally, literally to, like, what, like, like, the actual weather. Was I wearing a jacket or not? Okay, but. Was it oh, cold or was oh, it hot? Oh, okay, no. So, I mean seasons of life. Oh. There was a season in my life where I was this person. And there was a season in my life where I carried myself this way. There was a season where I existed in this way. Mm. And so to me, there are seasons and they're very relational. Oh, okay. And they have to do with other people and they have to do with me. And so seasons change for me in that regard. Okay. Uh, Okay. So there was a season of, um, from 
late 2020 until the beginning of this year. That was a season for oh, me. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and it was a season. How of- far after that season ends do you draw the line and say the season ends, Keza? That's a very good question. I think it's... So, very, like, very Monica quirk. Uh, also, I appreciate that you refer to yourself in third person sometimes. People get really weirded out by that. <laughs> I do the same thing and you're like, oh my God, <laughs> don't, don't, all of y'all? Anyway, um, so thank you. <laughs> um, since I've moved here, mm. there's been a very consistent and interesting thing is that whenever I go back to Canada for a vacation, I, uh, I go... Once a year ish, um, the trip to Canada usually ends up signaling a change in season or a transition oh, for me. Interesting. And I noticed this maybe five years in. I had not picked up on it before. And I think part of it comes back to your own mental clarity and self awareness. Is it because you've pulled yourself out of where you live and you've gone to somewhere else that forces you to sort of like, review all the changes that have happened in in the last year interesting um i don't think i give myself the time to do that in canada i don't give myself the mental space to do that i know but i'm I'm sure when you meet up with your friends you're like oh what have you been up to this last year what's been happening no so uh my relationship with canada is um rocky oh uh yeah and i i love north america I genuinely do. There are things that I really miss mm. and they are incredibly trivial. They are painfully trivial. Uh, I miss being able to drive yep. comfortably. Okay. I love driving. Okay. I love road tripping. So this is very much a thing. Um, I miss Costco. <laughs> it's, it's, I like never like, I spent like one year of my life in the US and my roommate used to take us like weekly trip to Costco and it was the greatest thing. Thank you. The greatest thing. Carrefour does not match. No, of course not. No. So it's incredibly trivial, but it's also such a thing. And I think these actually go back to just day-to-day comforts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Life here is on a day-to-day level, it wears on you. (sighs) I, I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I think I only very recently started to not feel that way. Yes. Mm. Why? Because I'm lucky enough to live in a compound inside a compound, out for Sahara. I have my car. I order all my, my fruits and vegetables and all my stuff on my phone. And it comes, I pay online. Everything's online. I don't, I pretty much in wet corona, I like don't leave my house unless I have to. <laughs> so this begs a very interesting conversation, not even question, conversation with Ms. Bailey. Um, the intentionality that comes with experiencing life outside of the compound. You had mentioned this with your parents and how they kind of instilled that in you. I feel like here, if you, I mean, we're going to focus on compound culture just because, but also if you're um, someone who, an Egyptian who grew up abroad and you move back here, you're looking for particular comforts that like, that allow you to rest and live as comfortably as yeah. you possibly can, yeah. given the life that you grew up living. Yeah. It's all, you're always, you always have to be on here. On, like you're just always, like you can't just like stroll down the street and be like, ooh, oh, the weather's really great today. Oh, look at that lovely tree. Like, no, 
you're on. Your you're radar is you're on. on. Where am I going to park? Oh, is my car okay? What's going on? Oh, I have to walk. Oh, wait, there's a thing in the side sidewalk. You have to like jump over it. Oh, wait, there's like a lady tish hat on the side. You have to walk around her. Oh, uh, there's a motorcycle guy driving by. Like, you can't just like, like exist. Oh my God, we need to create a video game out of this. Oh my gosh, that because would be so stressful. Aywa! <laughs> because I was... I was imagining it as you were saying it, and I get it in the day to day, but I um, I imagined it as almost the character walking with Talalu, and it was the way that you articulated it. Yeah. Talalu, like an obstacle here. Yeah. Oh my God, avoid yeah. the obstacle. Yeah. Oh you can't just like stroll. There are only very specific spaces where you can stroll. Or like, yeah, like or really early in the morning, or yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's not easy. It's not. It's, it's not, not easy. It's not. You can't just walk down the sidewalk. No, you can't. Like, th- no, there are things on the sidewalk, and there are people on the sidewalk. And there's, there's more stuff on, the, on sidewalk. the sidewalk than on the street. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's easy when you live in compound culture to exist purely within compound culture and not know the outside world. It's scary how easy it is to do that because you've been given all the luxuries and the necessities. But why exist outside of that? Um, and I feel like that's almost kind of scary, Benizbeni, because when you're going back to your idea of like, how do you want to raise your kids? Are we raising a, I can't believe we're old enough to say that we are the ones raising sweet baby Jesus. So are we <laughs> raising uh, a generation of, of children? Mm-hmm that is not going to know or engage or interact with life outside of compound culture. Mm. And I feel like you as Dina bring a lot of intentionality to your engaging with life outside of compounds. You yeah. have to seek it out. You have to, you have to go and make an intentional effort to experience and expose yourself to life outside of the compound because this is Egypt as much as this is Egypt. Absolutely. And also, I, I have a big sense of shame attached to living in a compound. Like, I I really enjoy it, of course. And I can, there's always my parking spot in front of my house. I've got a garden. I do my gardening. I'll, like, it's great. It's, it's like so luxurious. I love it. It's incredible. Okay. I forgot the point I was going to make. Uh, you were talking about shame of living. Ah, uh, yes. I also find it really um, uncomfortable for me to live this life mm. when everybody else isn't living this life. Please unpack this because I feel like this is a sentiment. Um, this is something that a lot of people experience but don't have the words to elaborate on. I don't have, I don't know if I have the words and I don't know if it's, it's sort of like a half baked concept. Like I don't, I don't mm. know. I don't know if it's okay to feel this way or not, or I, I don't know. Yeah. But, but yeah. I feel guilty. Of course, I feel guilty being richer. I feel guilty coming from a richer family. I feel guilty um, that things are so much easier for me than for anybody else. Yeah. And I feel guilty that I complain about it. And I feel guilty that I feel really like just suffocated in this country, especially with all of like the economic things that are happening. Um, I feel really let down by the country and I feel upset at myself for feeling that way because all I've done is really take and not really give. Do you know what I mean? Um, so part of that is, it's really complicated because I think me living abroad also is what got me into studying heritage and working in heritage in general. It's a really big part of 
building my identity and I really studied it so I could know who I am and where I'm from and what it's like like it's like a really messy complicated thing but somehow being slightly connected to the streets um makes me feel like not as much of a piece of shit for being a rich person wow Awalan, thank you for the vulnerability. It's it's like it's a lot. I don't know. It really yeah, is. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm not sure. I'm not sure about anything. But it makes me feel better to feel like at least I try. I'm not saying that I know everything. I don't know anything. But I am um, the fear that I had before when I was gamma in the MC Fahara, for example, is a lot less now. Okay. Like. I've broken through this fear of moving in poor spaces um, mm. because I think I was listening to one of your episodes about like um, where you and your guests were talking about like said you like being fearful of Egypt and feeling yeah. like it was unsafe and people always told you that it was unsafe so you yes. have to be like really diligent about um, not vigilant that's what I'm looking for in terms of like walking around yeah. and I feel for a really long time I felt that way yeah and once I started doing my field research and just being in the streets like of course you have to be reasonably aware of your surroundings but yes. but it's also good to be exploring and seeing what's happening yeah. what people are doing what people are saying and how people are eating hmm. eating is a really big a really big tell a really big tell of how people are living their lives um elaborate please something that i i learned about like i've always i i've known i've heard that malnutrition is a big thing in egypt but people always think malnutrition they think of like starving children they don't realize malnutrition is just consuming poor quality food so if you are one of the many children in egypt who wake up and on the way to school get a can of coke and a pack of chipsy um you're consuming way too many calories you might be a little bit chubby and also malnutrition because you're not eating the right food the people will be overweight but also malnutrition so they have bad bones they have lots of health concerns that are related to them not knowing how to eat healthily so you dig a bit more and you realize that nobody actually taught them what healthy food means what it what it what is it, what does it mean like in the US they have the food pyramid right like that is not really something that's taught here people don't know about it um and so you start realizing very quickly as you dig more and more it breaks down a lot of these sort of prejudices that we have about people from lower social classes um because they're just doing the best that they can and they're such products of the society that we're in of how the government runs things how things work it's not their fault like they try their best but and they they're they're just not given the same information that we're given they do what they can with they what they have they do what they zapped and they try their best they yeah. try their best um and so seeing how people eat and and exploring that with out the prejudice and just exploring with fresh eyes yeah. helps you appreciate so much more the life that they live i don't know i feel like i'm so boxing a bit which makes me kind of uncomfortable Um, Why are you so positive? Do you know your imposter syndrome is showing? Yeah, well, you literally studied this. I know, but it's, it's like it's such a it big is. field. And you're sharing 
from a mixture of what you studied. And mm. so you have the academic background and the academic credentials to speak on what you know, on what you know. This is what I've learned. But also you have the field experience and I think I want to go ahead and say the social aptitude to have picked up on the people you're having conversations with and be able to put some pieces together and speculate, if nothing else, speculate. Yeah. Um, and that's what Dina's voice brings to the conversation. And if Dina's voice doesn't bring something to the conversation, then why does she have a voice? Oh boy. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's very complicated. And I'm bringing to it a lot of my own, like I'm speaking to you through my, of course, like my lens of all of, of the experience that I've had and all the fears that I've had. And, and I think living in a, in a, in a, a sort of like richer bubble. Um, there is a fear of interacting with people from lower social classes. There is a fear of interacting, going to visit spaces that are not our own spaces. Yeah. Um, and so trying to break that a little bit mm -hmm. uh, by purposely visiting these spaces um, and exploring and talking to people and building relationships um, and also learning about food along the way is a way that makes me feel less bad about being a rich person in Egypt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a lot more common than we think it is. Mm. This is a lot of people's experience. And I think it's also the experience of, all the more so, the experience of Egyptians who grew up abroad and moved back with that privilege mm. that comes with having grown up abroad. And absolutely, here. Like absolutely. There's a certain, like, absolutely. right off the bat privilege. And I think because we experienced life abroad, we are aware we are hyper aware of that privilege, perhaps a bit more than people whose day to day has been here. And so they've just become accustomed to the differences. Uh, they were raised with these differences. And so they're part of the fabric of their life and their existence and their mental dictionary, for yeah. lack of better terms. Yeah. Best to us, it's blatant. Yeah. It's there and yeah. it's in your face. Um, and I think you touched on something that just on a lot of things that are actually absolutely brilliant. Bless you. Um, <laughs> but uh, take the bow. Take the bow. No, this is me like, <laughs> like verbal diarrhea, you know, like it's like, oh, like no. it all comes out. <laughs> Dude, take the bow. Take the bow. Um, one of those things is something that um, is something that I not necessarily am very passionate about because, mm. you know, um, for lack of better terms. <laughs> um, but it's something that I tend to have a lot of conversations about, um, which is walking into and navigating a space that's different than you yeah. without consuming the space and consuming the people. Because where do you draw is, the line? What does that mean, consuming the space and consuming the people? So, like uh, using them as props for your own gain? Like, is that what you mean? I don't know. It's very interesting. I, I, I love the way you put that. Take that and bring that into the context of Masalan. Um, you are walking, you are very aware that you're a rich person in mm. Egypt, living rich bubble life in Egypt. Mm. Walking into a poor space and for the purpose of your research or given just the nature of your work, you're walking into different spaces and engaging with people that are very different than you. Mm. And you as a content creator, all the more so. Um, how do you walk into this space without 
poverty porning people. Oh, so the work that I'm currently doing um, hasn't been that. Like, it hasn't been that I'm going to people's homes mm -hmm. and uh, videoing them. Like, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, the work that I'm currently doing is related to restaurants mm -hmm. that we have called in advance, mm -hmm. taken permission from. Okay. Anybody photographed has given permission and everything has been explained very clearly. And we send them the work that we've done, in it, like, once it's done. Um, the stuff that I was doing before, let me try to remember. Are people receptive of this, by the way? So, so you have to be really you have uh, of of what? Sorry, uh, of what you were about to elaborate on. Are people receptive of the hey, we want to come and we want to document the food and the process and like the entire yeah. process that you go through with the restaurant? I I go through so. The last job that I was doing, I was also doing content creation. Um, what I would do was that I would sit down, I'd explain to them the purpose, like what are we trying to do? Mm -hmm. We're trying to shed a light on Egyptian food practices um, to add value to them because something that isn't seen isn't valued. Mm -hmm. So something that might seem normal to you is very interesting to other people that don't see that every day. There's value to that. You do it every day, you think it's normal, but it's important. It's important to our experience as Egyptians. Um, so very sincerely um what i i try to explain this and i show them examples of other things that i've done um and if they're okay with that great a lot of times with women it'll be don't take pictures of me don't take videos of me absolutely it's not my i'm not trying to put anybody out here like yeah i will always work within the perimeters that are set for me mm -hmm. um and it's always coming from Like things are always framed for me. Like what is for me? Like how, why do we do this? Because traditional food, traditional Egyptian food is so perfectly designed for us. Like it's almost like it's almost divine. Like it's it's a collection of all these incredible foods that grow naturally in our soil in our in our climate, so well balanced for the human body. Very heavy on the vegetables and the grains. Not so much on the meat, not so much on the cheeses. This is traditionally not 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 what's currently happening, like in cities now. Um, so ideal. It's so ideal for us. It's so ideal for our health. It's so ideal for you know these trending uh, like uh, this is you know Mediterranean diets and all this sort of stuff. Like it's really great. And so what I'm trying to do is, or what I was trying to do with my last job is looking at um, food traditions and highlight how they're actually really great. They're great. They're not. They're not old or backward or or because mm, I, I feel like sometimes there's this thing. Oh, the oh, um, oh, I'd prefer to eat something foreign. Why would I eat something Egyptian? Well, no, because it's good for you. It's very nutritious. You're buying from local farmers. You're buying things that are grown in our soil. That's perfect for our environment. We're not getting imported vegetables, for example. It's better for the environment. It's better for. It's just perfect. It's perfect for us. Perfect for us. For Egyptians who live here in this area, it's perfect. So why would you not? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Does that answer your question a bit? The way your face lights up when you talk yeah, about Yeah, because it's really exciting. It's, it's so it's great. Amazing. It's so great. It's so undervalued. Why? Um, because a lot of Egyptians, well, because people experience it daily, so they don't think it's anything. Yes. Right? Yeah. It loses any sense of novelty yeah. you could have possibly yeah. had. We eat it every day. What's, what's you know? Yeah. Um, and then also people who are, 
are, are exposed to sort of international cuisines, Western cuisines, automatically value that over their own. Ooh, um, that is very correct. And I wonder yeah. why. Specifically in the eyes of foreigners. So lots of time you'll think about having foreigners. And a lot of people, like if you're having guests over, yeah. a lot of people will be like, oh, I'll take them to what I think they would like to eat. And so I'll take them to like a fancy, like a Western inspired yeah. restaurant. Yes, Because yes, yes, I, that's yes. what I think they want to eat. Yes. This would happen when I'd come back to visit. Our family would want to take us to what they think we want because we live abroad. And so here is a taste of abroad in Egypt. Yeah. And it's really good. And look at us and we're like westernized, we're civilized and we're doing all this western stuff. Look at us. Yes. We tend to do that. And this would happen to me when I'd come back and visit and I'd be like, no, if I wanted North America, I'd F off back to North America. I live there. I'm here because I want to experience Egypt and to know Egypt and to taste Egypt. Yes. Uh, and then even then, they'll take you to restaurants that sort of like butcher the food or it's sort of like, like Egyptian food is not restaurant food. Egyptian food is like eklibiti. It's food that your grandma cooks or it's yeah. food that your mom cooks or it's food that your auntie cooks. Yeah. It's not, let's go to this restaurant and have it. Unless it's like kebab kofta. Street food. Uh, yeah, like kawashi. Yeah, like street buzopt. Yeah. But you're not going to go to a restaurant and have... Um, you know, Molokaya. with the accent, please. Um, I sensed you were about to no, bring out the accent. No, I don't, no, I don't like. You're not. You know what I mean? Like, there are certain foods you're not gonna have mashi, for example. Yeah. You're not gonna have mashi kromb at a restaurant. You're not really gonna yeah. have that. You'll have it at somebody's house. That's very interesting. You're right. There's a certain social experience that comes with having that like homemade yeah. food. That's not. That's very rare. Like you won't find that in restaurants. You're right. Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. And so that also becomes an issue because people, let's say you want to treat somebody who's a foreigner to something, you'll take them to maybe one of these Egyptian restaurants that aren't. So this was a big thing when I tell people I work for Bellies on Boot. They're like, oh, so where do you take them? You take them to like Carlos. You take them to um, uh, like, um, gosh, what's that place called? Abu Seed. You take them to, and I'm like, because for them, that's a... Um, acceptable presentation of Egyptian foods. It has to look a certain way. And here, I'll do it. It's a whitewashed presentation yeah, 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 of yeah, Egyptian yeah, yeah. food. And so, actually, tell them no, like people will go sit and sit in the street or stand. They won't even sit and just have like a, a food sandwich from a, a cart on the side of the street. And they're like, oh, won't they get sick? Like, what? But won't oh they God. won't they it's yes. not like really that's why why would you show them that because i'm not ashamed of my country and i'm not ashamed of my food i think people are ashamed to have foreigners like walk around or see things yes yeah and it's like there's no reason for that i'm not ashamed this is my country this is my city and i love it and it's fine and it's great i'm not ashamed of having of having dirty streets this is this is the reality yeah and there's also like so much chaos and beauty and incredible magic that happens just by be- like people love it. People like, especially in downtown, when you see like a guy on the cycle with like the, the, bread. the bread on his head, he's just like cycling, he's on the phone and he's like holding the bread. People are like, what's happening? It's poetic chaos. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. People like, people really like it because it is incredible. It's lovely. Yes. But Egyptians feel like so shamed. They want to like make things new. They want to make things like, Okay, maybe we shouldn't talk about this, but... Yes, no, dude, that even carries over to... This is what I was talking about when I was saying how Bahrain has built a foreign Bahrain and a local Bahrain. This, This it's exactly this. We 
we've created so we've created um cultures and spaces that are so not necessarily foreigner friendly because Egypt is I'm Cairo and certain spaces in Cairo are very foreigner friendly. Yeah, of course. Um and they don't have to be within the bubble for them to be foreigner friendly. Yeah. Um so it's not that we've created foreigner friendly spaces, it's we've created spaces that are foreign that replicate Dubai, yeah. that replicate Bahrain, I yeah, assume, yeah. that replicate North America. Yeah. But why? Are we doing it for the foreigners who are coming in here or are we doing it for the Egyptians who want to feel like they live abroad? Or what's the purpose of these spaces? Because actually, actually, everybody that I've um, hosted or like I love walking around with people, I love hosting people, and everybody from outside of Egypt that I've hosted loves observing the chaos. Absolutely. Would you would they be comfortable living in it? No, that takes a certain level of grit. And so this is part almost where the the different com- difference comes in between I can operate within downtown but I will live in Zaid because oh. the day-to-day level of exhaustion yeah. and grit that yeah. comes from living downtown and operating downtown yeah, is very it's different. Lot. It's a lot. It drains you. Yeah, it's a lot. And so it's kind of like living in suburbia but operating yeah. in the big city. Yeah. Because ultimately, Cairo is the big city yeah. to which there is suburbia. Yeah. And people love that. Yeah. We're so keen on filtering that and mm. cleaning that and like putting a little makeup on it and making it white. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think it'll never really happen. Like, it's impossible. It's impossible to do that. Yeah. It's impossible to fully do that. So I think definitely they'll try to create these spaces, but the chaos will always creep in. Because people yeah. are born and raised here and there's the chaos and there's there's this very hard like hustle culture yeah. that doesn't change just because you move the people to a different area. Elaborate. Like. I, at face value, I understand, but I feel like you're going somewhere else with this. Oh, I, no, I don't know. I, I, I feel like as much as. Um, for example, I live in one of these very beautiful, like very white neighborhoods, lovely, you know, uh, there's a golf course in my compound, like this Ooh. sort of, this sort of like area. Yeah. But at the end of the day, everybody that lives here, lives there, has lived here. And there isn't, as much as you try to enforce rules, there's still the chaos of downtown to a certain extent. So things like my neighbors will have a party at like three in the morning and they're like, <laughs> And I'm like, please, hello, I have work tomorrow. And they're like, nope, we don't care. <laughs> there because is, that, that, that's acceptable yes. behavior here. Because yes. who's going to tell? Are you going to call the police? Who are you going to call? Like, nobody. Yeah. So that, that behavior still exists there. Like, you have people, things that kill me, like um, people who drive like Haxi or like in the wrong direction. Yeah. In a compound where you're, they're supposed to be like, there are kids running around here. Like, they're, they're, they're like... That's bad behavior in general. Maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm speaking only about bad behavior because I feel like uh no, but it's the concept of chaos. Chaos, chaos where is something the is accepted. Yeah, there's 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 definitely it's accepted for you to drive in an opposite direction. Like, yeah, it's okay. People be like, hey, and he'll get a few beeps, but like you can do it. Yeah. And then you will be the person it. beeping at the person trying to cross the street, and it's like, dude, you're the one going in the wrong direction. direction. Yeah. How are you beeping yeah. at me? Just tell him. Like this, this sort of level of chaos and and not having rules enforced, or not respecting rules, or not being aware that there are rules. Yeah, 
bleeds into everything. You can't protect yes. any space from this. It That's will always be, true. it will always have a certain extent of that. It's organized chaos, which is fascinating. Here, definitely, it works. Like, it works. Like, the city's still functioning. Yeah. Maybe not very efficiently, but, but still functioning. <laughs> and you're absolutely right in that this is ingrained, ingrained in us. It's just how we're raised. And it's how... It's how people- if you've never lived in a place where these rules are enforced, then can you blame them for not following the rules? No, you yeah. can't. You really yeah. can't. This is just how it is. Yeah. Oh, okay. Bring me back to the food. <laughs> bring me back to the food. I love it. Um, so we're not going to the restaurants. We're going, but we're going to the food carts, and we're. I love what you said about I am not ashamed of the city, and I'm not ashamed of everything that goes into the chaos of the city. Yeah. Because I, this is real. Because this is where this culture comes from. This is the reality. People. People do food tours because they want to know what Egyptian life is like. Life, not food, right? They're not, they don't want like a five-course sit-down dinner to explore just food outside of context. This food is, is that we give you the context, which is the chaos and the bustling and the cars beeping and like the people right, right next to you having a fight and pushing each other. Like this is the reality of what life is like in Cairo. And this street food is a reflection of how people move in these spaces people grab quick meals on the go how people stop and have like a cup of seed and continue their date like like this is this is part of it i don't know yes it's yes, fun it's nice I, I i'm i'm always really proud to share this sort of stuff because i think it's so interesting i think it's really interesting it really is how did you end up studying this um i started my master's not really knowing i was going to focus on food Oh, and it was okay. more general. It was about just how to manage cultural heritage, mostly with like a tourism twist. So like how to manage protecting the sites um, and also making it suitable for tourism. Like there's always like a pressure. Tourism just wants to make money. Heritage just wants to protect things mm. and doesn't want anybody to enter any of the old buildings. And then we're just going to keep it the way it is and, and we're going to document it and take pictures of it and that's it. And tourism wants to come in and just consume everything. And so how do you create sort of like this ethical tourism, especially in Egypt where all tourism is cultural tourism for the most part. Yeah. Um, and so it's quite relevant for us. And I, I've, I've always been really interested in food and there wasn't much work done on food. Um, and every time I say people are like, oh, wow, that's so like uh, new and novel and weird. And, and they ask the same question, like, why did you choose this? Um, and I think maybe one of the reasons I did is because my family doesn't really care so much about food. Like we don't have strong food traditions in my family okay. um, on e either side, my, my, my mom's side or my dad's side. So... My mom doesn't really like to cook and she's a vegetarian. My sister's a vegetarian and my dad's not really, he's not terribly interested in food in general. Okay. Um, but I've always liked food. Yeah. I've always liked to eat. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah. And so I think, I think just being able to look at it from a cultural sense, specifically in a country that has like such a long and rich history makes it really interesting. Yeah. If, uh, I felt like there was a space. So we'll do it. Nobody's, nobody else has really done that much work on it. Of course, there are a few people, but they're like five or six. It's, it's a very small field in Egypt. So um, That's so cool. Yeah. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like you found 
work that was tailor-made for you. I know. I can't believe it. It's still a bit of a dream. It's still a bit of a dream. Like I, I, at a certain point, like a couple of years ago, I was like, okay, well, I've sort of explored everything that I can explore in this field and I don't really think I'll find anything else. So let's just think about shifting careers and doing something else. And I was lucky enough to stumble across uh, Bellies. And um, yeah. And they give me that space to sort of play. Yeah. um, Which is really appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. I love Mm. the way that they approach food as a means of experiencing local culture and just all the layers behind yeah, it. Because it's all these little things. It's all these little things about, you know, one of the things that they might, one of the stops that they might do is um, they'll stop at a small, like, cheese shop and get a small tray of, like, give Okay. And just, like, have everybody taste it. Yeah. And be like, just talk about the, the relevance of this cheese. That we all grew up eating rumi sandwiches growing up. Like, everybody yeah. went to school with a, a rumi yeah. sandwich. Yeah. People loved it and people hated it. But it's such a big part of... And no, no way you'd stumble across Gibnarumi in any other situation as a foreigner. That's very true. Unless you live here, and maybe if you explore the cheese section and you're interested in trying local cheeses, but if you're here for a week, you're not going to try Gibnarumi. Or know how it's eaten. Not only that it, that it is eaten, but how it's eaten is also quite relevant. That's incredible. Mm. And Gibnarumi is not something that people would be like, oh, let me introduce you to Gibnarumi. It's something that we not necessarily take for granted, but take for granted. They something also, we're yeah. accustomed to. And people always think like, oh, well, why? especially if like the, the guests are like, if the, the tourists are like European or, or American, like, oh, you've tried like much better cheese. It's like, why do you have to say it like that? Like, you don't have to say like, can we talk about our self-deprecation as a culture? Absolutely. Especially toward like, for us, I think we feel very, quite proud of our food yeah. but as soon as you start bringing in foreign eyes it it there's the whole conversation shifts yes yeah yes i feel like that is absolutely correct yeah. and uh i don't think i've ever thought about that in the context of food mm. um i'd love to hear your experience of this what does it look like because you've seen this you've experienced it what happens why i i think so i this became really obvious to me when i was doing my masters i got to interview some people at um the ministry of tourism back then when it was the ministry of tourism and um mm. and i had like three or four interviews with people there and they were very welcoming but it showed so much their disdain for egyptian food like it was what? it was shocking and horrifying like yes. i remember speaking to this one lady we were sitting in her office and I was asking, oh, you know, like, why don't we focus more on food? Like, I know we have a lot of, like, um, tangible heritage, the pyramids, buildings, like the city, you know, like, yeah. but why not? Why, why, is there, why isn't there so much focus on something like food, something yeah. that's more intangible? Uh, and she's like, well, like, why would we? Like, um, the Syrians do our food better. The Turks do our food better. Like, why? Why? Why would I, why would I share that? Exactly. And that was exactly my response. And Hoa, like, what are you even, what are you, you, what are you even saying? Your job is to market Egypt. Like, what are you even saying? Like, how can you say this? (laughs) Even if you feel this way inside, like, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say that. There are so many filters happening. I know. It was like. Oh and this was like, God. it was all variations of this kind. Like, why would I spend money to promote Egyptian food 
when I have something like the pyramids, I just spend my, I'm like, I mean, we are this is so not much more this. than the pyramids. Yeah, it's not, it's, I mean, the pyramids are great. We love them. They're awesome. But this does not negate this. Like you can, you can spend money on both. Like you can still like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. So it was a little bit disappointing, but I think things have started shifting the last few years. Like there was Cairo food week, uh, like, uh, I don't know what happened there because they were very exclusive about it. So it wasn't really open to anybody outside of their social group. Um, Does that happen around here a lot? I mean, when it isn't, comes everything, food, isn't, isn't everything like a click or a gang? That's a thing like, in this country. Yeah. It if, really you're, is. if you're not in the group, then you're not in the group and you're not getting in the group. Dude, I feel like this is something we experienced as children yeah. in school. And then um, you moved here for university. So I imagine Absolutely AUC university. was Absolutely. like that. And then you go out into the real world and you're like, oh, I'll never grow up. Yeah, no, it's the same. It's the same. It's the same, it's the same attitude in everything. How do you integrate into something like this, whether professionally or socially or at university? I, I don't think that I have. I think I'm always on the outside. Really? Yeah, I think I'm all. And, and honestly, I'm kind of okay with that because there's peace in you doing your own thing. Although sometimes I get a bit of this FOMO, like, oh, I, I wish I would have been, you know, there. I wish I would have been invited to that. Or I wish I would have. Also, there's so much like bullshit that happens like in the when you have anytime you have like interact with people there's like a lot of crap that happens and i just don't have i'm okay i'm happy in my house with my garden and my kitchen and my cat i'm i'm good like i don't need to necessarily it's selective when i want to i'll push to be part of something yeah um but other than that i'm okay to not be that's very interesting that's so interesting um, because I've been here now for almost eight years and there are a lot of spaces, if not most spaces, where I still feel like the outsider, regardless of what space I'm in. It does not matter. Um, there is something that's very exclusive um, and it's different pockets, but it's also big picture. No, oh, you're too Egyptian for us because I was Barra, I'm Egyptian. And I'm Egyptian Canadian, but Egyptian. Yeah. So I came back, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, Sorry, Canadian Canadian in in an endearing way, oh. but it was a reflection of how starkly different I was from a certain community. Yeah, of course. And then reverse that, and it's like, "Oh, you're the foreigner. It's a bit of tenka because you're foreign." I know. I I don't feel like I carry myself that way, but so we never. We people can't also, see ourselves. Like, there's a lot, like, a lot of people who feel quite aggressively towards anybody that might have had, like, what they perceive to be a better experience. Yes. Like, they don't know whether you are rich there or poor there, whether you had a great time or a bad time to them because you lived Barra, fancy. You're like a queen. Like, you've been living the high life. You've yeah. been traveling, ton of money. They don't know what your experience was like and they're not going to ask. Yes. Mm. And... I think the assumption is that this comes from people who are poor. Nope. It comes it's from deep within the upper echelons yeah, of Canadian society. because they want society. to, they want, they wish they could have lived that life because they think it's a better life. Which is so telling of and brings us back to uh, this self-deprecation and this disdain for the reality that we live in in this country. Yeah. This Audit Khawaga is a thing. And Audit Khawaga, I think the closest uh, translation I could come to is like a foreigner's complex. 
yeah. we are obsessed with the foreign sometimes. I think I think also it's it's so much because I was talking to my husband about this the other day. We recently went to um the Royal Jewelry Museum in Alexandria, like last week. Ooh, I've never been. You should go. It's spectacular. Really? It's incredible. Okay. You should go. And um that was very impassioned. Yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. sold. No, I'm so no, sold right now. I don't even like museums and I'm sold. <laughs> you don't like museums? I don't like museums. I like open air and architecture and exploring Girl, a culture, not in a curated box. Missing out. Anyway, anyway. We'll, 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 we'll come back to why you're missing out, but that's fine. We'll circle back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this this museum is in a um a palace. Hmm. Uh do I remember much about palace? No, but it was absolutely gorgeous. Um okay. and and we were talking about specifically why Egyptian royalty felt the need to be so westernized. And Ooh. and 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 it it kind of bothers me because I also got to go on a lovely visit to Asul Obba like a few months ago, um, which was really interesting as well. And I was so surprised by how Western everything was. Everything's done in like this like French style with these, you know, like women in their like white wigs, like glass, um, stained glass mural, like like just like a lot, like 18th century, 17th century French style everywhere. I'm like, what's the deal with this? This is very, you're supposed to be Egyptian royalty. Like, where's the Egyptian part? Like, I don't know. So we were having this conversation about, a big conversation about how we have such a long history of being colonized, even before uh, the French, it's, I think geographically where we are just means that anybody who moves around this area necessarily passes through Egypt. Mm. Um, And as a result, you have so many cultures that have come in and colonized for a period of time to be kicked out by somebody else and be colonized by them. So you have like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of just a country that was ruled by different people or at least very heavily influenced by different cultures. And so I don't know if this is a... A modern problem that we face, the Saudi Khawega, or not? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but maybe the question to ask is: Is it a new problem or is it an old problem? If people have always been coming yeah. in, if the ruling class for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years has always been foreign, I mean, I can't blame Egyptians for wanting to be foreign because that's where the power is, right? So, I don't know. I just love a, just a, this just a question mark. Yeah, just a, yeah. I don't know. Wow. Thank you for that. That was a very interesting perspective and it's a direction that not a lot of people take. Um, Mm. It's not the direction that the conversation around the foreigners complex usually goes. Mm. Um, And I wonder to what extent people are even aware of where it comes from in them. If you are someone who has are you aware of all the different layers Mm. of the the world that you've been raised in that have resulted in you harboring this particular sentiment. Mm. Um, do you do you have the knowledge to know where this came from or to break it down? And I don't think um, I don't think most people do. Tangibly. It's so complicated. It really it's is. It's so complicated because you might not necessarily hold those things valuable. Like they're not they're not important to you, but society says they're important. They're so socially important. Yes. So. I mean, things just, you're affected by the community that you're in. You're affected by that. Yeah. I don't know. And this is just one 
manifestation of one example mm. of a very nuanced conversation Absolutely. about culture around here and how we perceive it as people who weren't raised here. And it would be interesting to see the perspective of people who were raised here engage in this conversation as well. Um, and I found that I, I love having conversations on this podcast because they are so all over the place. Mm. But at the same time, there's an absolute backbone to all of them that has been very, very consistent. No, what is um, that? Mm. It's, for lack of better terms, know that you don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that all of these conversations that we're having are very particular and they're a part of a very big, very nuanced conversation that is and isn't being had at the same time. It's being had on the small scale mm. and it's also being had on, you know, the very big picture theoretical scale. But somewhere in the middle, there's a much bigger conversation to be had about the Egyptian experience and the different lenses through which people see mm. the experience mm. and experience the experience. Mm. And I think we're just, you know, one thread in that whole team, yeah. for lack of better terms. <laughs> yeah. But there's so yeah. much to it. And I there's love so that much. you allow space for the I don't know. Yeah. Because it's so big. Like, if you say you know, uh, like, that's know not shit. a good sign. <laughs> shit. Um, but also, that does not let you off the hook for your imposter syndrome. Because you can know things, but also understand that you don't know everything. Yeah, well, I think, I think I'm always a little bit worried to discuss things related to social class um, and wealth and poverty and... Um, because there's a lot there yeah. and I'm necessarily, even though I try to remove myself from my experience, I'm always necessarily speaking through my own experience. Absolutely. And so I, I don't want to fall into the trap of pretending like I know mm. or can see the nuances of this topic. I can see what's in front of me, but I can't see everything. And so I try to say, I say what I want, what's in my mind, but then they take with a pinch of salt because I still don't really, I'm not sure if that's, that's correct or not. But is that not the human experience as a whole? Can anybody actually know everything? All that we know is from the life that we've lived and yeah, the perspectives yeah, yeah, that we have. Yeah. yeah, I just, I want to be sensitive. That's it. I just want to be sensitive to this because it's, it's, it's a sensitive topic. I that's it. I completely yeah. get that. I yeah. completely get that. Um, but I think that there's... Um, there's a certain vulnerability in having that conversation, mm. knowing that it's a sensitive topic and knowing the privilege that you come from yeah, in this sensitive space. Absolutely. And I think in, in exposing where you come from um, in terms of how you think, not you as Dina, but one generally, in terms of how you think and what has brought you to think in this way, it's... Use the term hold space. Mm. Holding space for the reality of this is where I come from in terms of how I think and perceive things and the life experience that I've had and what I've studied and what I've seen and what I've experienced mm. allows others to engage in that space because if you communicated X, there are about 30 other people who might be experiencing the exact same thing but are as 
mortified as you are about having experienced and thought of them in that way and yeah. are so afraid to be like, oh, but I don't know everything. And so that vulnerability begets the vulnerability of other people. And I think this is what leads to very interesting and engaging and fruitful conversation about important topics. Yeah, I hope so. And I hope, I hope that, I think, I think there's always a little bit of fear when it comes to speaking about these things because you might assume that all of your, or no, maybe let me phrase this. People can be very unkind. Yes. And so I don't want to put myself in a situation where I say something in a normal sit-down conversation where maybe I'll revise myself or I'll go home and I'll think, oh, maybe I should have said that, maybe I should have said this. Yeah. Um, it's not like an essay where I can go back and fix it. What I've said yes. is said and it's recorded yes. and that's it, right? Um, but just trying to be a little bit, a little bit aware of the words coming out yes. while trying to express. And people, unfortunately, like to put people in boxes. Yeah. Uh, with assuming the worst. Especially if it's online, like, especially if it's so easy, like, yeah. we're all, I'm, I'm like, super guilty of that as well, where I, like, <clears throat> see something, like, slightly wrong, and I'm like, ah, oh, ferocious comments, you know, yeah. and I, I try to tone it down, but it's in all of us, it's in all of us. It is, um, and there's almost a dehumanizing nature to it, because we're not aware of, like, people haven't lived the past 30 years with Dina. Yeah. And so they don't know yep. the intricacies and nuances of Dina's life experience. They just know this one soundbite. This is reminding me a little bit also of what you were just saying before about when somebody's make, staring at you and you say, you look at them, you smile, say, Sabah al-Khid. Yeah. You've, you know, instantly you've humanized yourself where they were looking at you as an object. Yes. And you, and you say hi and you say, hey, what's going on? They're like, oh, wait, that's an actual person. Yes. Right. So just, yes. I felt like it was a bit that's of a... That's very interesting. You're right. Mm. Um, you're right. There, there's also such power in something as simple as good morning, by the way. Yeah, you're right. Dude, this has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your brain and your words. Wow. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> Very exciting stuff. Yay! Thank you, Thank you for having me. Thank awesome. you. This was really great. This was awesome. I had a good time. I always enjoy these kinds of conversations where, and it's like so rare that I can sit down with somebody and just like talk about something that's like a little bit a little bit higher level like a little bit higher level concept like a little bit yeah it's fun it's yeah. good it's engaging it's stimulating yes yes it you. really is yeah. i feel like had i mean had we not had lives outside of these couple of hours i could have sat here and kept Absolutely. this conversation going but i'm also trying to be mindful of your social matter <laughs> no you're very sweet no i think um it's also really exciting to have these conversations because like my husband like grew up abroad as well. I wanted his... to ask you how you met your husband. Oh, I met him I met him at university. Ah, okay. But we only got together like years, years, years after okay. we both graduated. But like he he was born in Switzerland and then he came back and then they moved to the US for a bit and they came back and Okay. I don't know if they moved back again or it was just one time in the US, but so they moved around a lot and mm. but his experience is also very different. Like I, I can't relate to a lot of the things that he Really? Yeah. So it's it's weird. It's interesting. It really is weird. And I discovered that in doing season one and season two. Mm. The difference between North America and the Gulf was huge. Just in terms of experiences and who we walked out of these experiences being. being. And I think the big thing, like the biggest thing for me was that I felt a lot of shame for not being Egyptian enough. Like 
yes. for years and years and years. Anytime anyone would be like, oh, let's be Mosre, couldn't like couldn't buy it, like on the spot. Yes. Um, and for Ahmed, he never felt this kind of shame. His Arabic is worse than mine, and he but he also never felt this kind of shame of not having good Arabic. Okay. Um, whereas that was like a really big thing for me. Um where he never felt that. Like, he's like, yeah, so I didn't live here. So what? Wow. You know what I mean? So he's yes. like totally, like, yes, he's totally yes. like come to terms with this is who I am. And anytime he goes and does things like femikin, hukumayam, it's like, I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I'm not sure if I'm not Okay. Just deal with it. Help help me out. Do Help me out. And people are like so happy to help. But I would be mortified. I would be mortified if I had to go somewhere and tell them I like, I would do all the research in the world to know what I need to be able to write and then I would practice it so I can go and do it there. But I wouldn't go and be like, oh, I don't know how to do this. Never. Which is interesting because when you're talking about walking into spaces that are different than us, you do the like, hi, I'm not from around here. What's the difference no, between the two? No, I don't know. I don't do it there. No, I don't know. No. Lots of shame. Lots of shame. Really? Yeah, lots of shame about that. But you don't experience that shame walking down the street in no. certain spaces. It's no. just in... Like government spaces. Government spaces, mm. purely. Yeah. Wow. That's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I don't know. In but gov- it's, an in- it's an interesting thing. Like it's, it it's really a, It's is. an interesting thing because I like... There are lots of... There are so many different experiences that I don't relate to when it comes to Ahmed's like, life growing up. It's very weird. His experience is totally different. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know. Wow. Okay, we're going to have to talk to Ahmed. Yeah. I think you should. I think it would be very interesting. <laughs> uh, we have to talk to Ahmed. Okay. That's fascinating. And that's it for today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Foreign Local. Episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram at The Foreign Local.